sports fans rejoice. You're listening to my team, my voice with MTMV Sports. What is good, everybody? This is Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints. You are listening to MTMV Sports. My team, my voice, your team, their voice. They got you covered every day, every time that you need it. Keep it locked. Hello and welcome to the Know Your Personnel podcast. We are on all major podcast apps. You can also find us on MTMV Sports Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to both stations that you never miss an episode. Please remember to leave us a five-star rating. Download and share this episode with a friend so we can continue to grow the game. I'm very excited for our next guest. Let's jump in. All right, welcome back to the KYP podcast. I'm very excited. Our next guest I've been trying to get this guy on for a very, very long time. Uh, we've crossed paths a lot of times down here in South Orange County. He's, he's a frequent member of our practices at El Toro High School. Uh, Ryan Badratelli is the associate head coach at UC Irvine. Ryan, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. I really appreciate you having me. Uh, coach, you have, a great, you, have, you have a great story here of, of, of what you've done with the game. Um, from from playing in high school to to coaching in high school to coaching in the Pac-10 to starting as a video guy ended up an associate head coach to being one of Kobe Bryant's uh, best friends and training partners. But I like to start at the beginning because you know I'm a high school guy and I always like to hear uh, how a guy like you how how he relates back to his high school years and how that kind of helped form him into the coach and the man that you are today. So if we can let's start at the beginning. Where did you play in high school and who did you play for? And uh, how did that all work out for you? Yeah, I went to Capistrano Valley High School um, down here in Mission Viejo. Um, you know, I, I was born in Long Beach, and um, you know, our family moved down to South Orange County when my dad's uh, job got moved to Orange County. And so we ended up in, in South County, uh, went to Capo Valley High School. Um, you know, I grew up as, as you know, loving basketball, loving all sports, um, you know, but but being raised in a family that, you know, wasn't as familiar maybe with sports and athletics. So we did a lot of different things growing up. Uh, you know, sure, I played the piano for 10 years. Um, that was as important as anything. You know, my parents wouldn't let me play sports unless I had straight A's. And so that was, everything was contingent on that. And, you know, it was a strict upbringing growing up, um, especially being first generation here. And, um, and you know, you know, just like, you know, I think my parents always imposed on me that, you know, the academics are something that you'll be able to take with you forever. And, um, you know, so that was always a driving force in my upbringing. Um, you know, when, when I got to high school, uh, you know, I was in between, you know, playing, you know, soccer and basketball. And, um, you know, I loved basketball. And I think I was moving more towards that. But the varsity coach at the time, his uh, name was... Um, Mark, Mark Thornton, uh, really good coach. Um, you know, he kind of looked at me, you know, freshman camp and said, you know what, uh, I think probably soccer might be the way for you. Um, you know, I was a five foot three, um, freshman and I was young. I mean, you know, I wasn't a holdback. I was, you know, I was just barely 14 when I started high school and he said, you know, I think soccer may be the way for you. 
Um, the only problem with that is, you know, they're, they're in the same season. So I did have to make a choice. So I decided to continue playing club soccer um, and, and sticking with, you know, high school basketball. And so I made the freshman B team. Um, and um, I kind of went from there with a, with a high school coach that, that was like, yeah, you know, this guy probably shouldn't be here. Um, and, um, you know, and throughout high school, I mean, I, I stuck with it. Um, you know, that was kind of my MO all the way through. Um, you know, Brian Mulligan ended up taking, um, you know, the, the job at, um, at Capistrano Valley when Mark Thornton left and um, I ended up playing for him, uh, which was an unbelievable experience. Um, you know, I ended up growing to be 6'3 uh, by the time I was done with, with high school. So I think that helped uh, my game along the way as, as well as, as just being in that program that, you know, was a program based on a lot of work in the off season. Um, you know, we worked really hard in the weight room, which was the first time I was really exposed to that. Um, you know, Coach Mulligan had a great coaching staff there. Um, one of the, you know, former players that played at Capo was back there coaching. He was a young coach. His name is Tom Airy. Um, he was at Kansas. Um, and so he was back. He was part of the CIF championship team. He became one of my mentors. And so just being in that environment, um, you know, you know, got me more and more excited about it. And so, you know, I, you know, ended up finishing my career at Capo as, you know, all league player and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, being around coach Mulligan and around that program really, you know, created my passion in, in basketball. It's funny to hear you talk about the freshman B team. And I had coached uh, for high school basketball for 11 years before I came down here and took the job. And I had never heard about a freshman B and a sophomore team. I didn't even know high schools did that. And the high school I was at before, Clovis West High School, is a very predominant basketball and athletic school. I mean, if, if someone's doing it, they're probably on the forefront of all types of innovation and different things. And so I came down here and I realized that, you know, you don't have the standard three teams that most high schools have. We have a freshman A, a freshman B, or freshman reserve, which is a nicer way of saying it, uh, a JV, a sophomore, which is like a JV reserve type team and then the varsity. And, uh, and so, you know, which is great, but you have, instead of a program with maybe 50 kids, you have 70 to 80 kids because you're adding two more teams. And generally the freshman, freshman reserve and the sophomore teams have a carry a lot of kids because they're kids that just want to play. They don't have an ego. They just want to be a part of a team, which is great. But I'd love to hear that, you know, you started on the freshman B team and now you are a division one, you know, associate head coach. Um, and I, I like what you say because, you know, I see a lot of kids and it'd be easy for me to say, maybe you should go play soccer. Maybe you should go do this, but I'm more of the, let's see how they pan out. Let's see what happens. Let's see if they grow. Let's see if they end up loving it or they'll just end up cutting themselves, you know, kind of deciding other things on their own because you just don't know when a boy is a freshman in high school, maybe even a sophomore in high school, it's still hard to tell really how good he's going to be and how he's going to develop. So that's another good story of that. Um, when you were in high school, you played for coach Mulligan, who's a legendary coach down here. Uh, what were some things that you took from him that you still use today in the college level? Well, I think one thing, you know, with, with playing for Brian is that he created a, a real defensive mentality and he valued players like me. And so um, not to say that Coach Thornton wouldn't have ended up valuing what I brought, but, you know, I was, I was willing to do anything to help the team win. Um, and I think, you know, having a coach that really valued that um, was really important. I mean, we had a really good team by the time I was a senior. I'm a team that, you know, take a lot of pride in the fact that we, you know, we won league that year, and that was when modern day was in the league. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we had multiple guys that were getting looks from college programs. And, um, 
you know, and by the time I became a senior, you know, I had gauged, you know, gained a little bit of interest um, from different programs, um, you know, D2s, D3s, um, you know, a little bit of interest from D1s as far as, hey, you know, we'll kind of wait and see on this guy. Um, but my role on that team was helping other guys be better, whether it was, you know, making the right pass or getting offensive rebounds or guarding the best player. Uh, you know, one of the best things that happened and, you know, and it's, you know, maybe a little bit embarrassing. I don't even know. But, you know, a couple of years after I graduated, Coach Mulligan named an award that he gives out at the banquet after me and another player that came through the program. And and I think it embodies just leadership and hard work and kind of a blue collar mentality. Um, and ultimately, you know, a player that cares about winning above everything else. And so, you know, for being around a coach that really valued the things that I brought, um, you know, really taught me that, there's a place for players like that. And whether you call him a glue guy or just a winning player or a guy that just cares about winning and helping other guys, you know, get better or be better. Um, you know, that's, that's one of the things that, that I learned from coach Mulligan. The other thing is just on a, on a coaching and philosophical level. The one thing I realized when I grew up through coach Mulligan's program was all the players that had played for him, how much they wanted to be back around the program. Um, you know, and that taught me a lot about, you know, culture of a program and, and what it means to be a part of a program and how much pride you take in how a team and a program does once you're done. Um, I never really realized that. I mean, there was a lot of alums that came back and wanted to be involved with our team and our program and help the players that were in the program. And that, and that really taught me, you know, how much impact you can have as a coach. Um, you know, Coach Mulligan, and it wasn't about basketball. Coach Mulligan had impact on guys so far beyond the basketball court. And um, that was fascinating to me. And, um, and looking back, I mean, I didn't realize it maybe all the time, but looking back, especially now, that's probably what I took the most from Coach Mulligan is the impact that he had on every single individual. Well, that's great. I think that any coach, that's, that's what you want to hear, you know, is that they cared about the person and they valued everyone, whether they were a player that's going to Kansas or they're a player who's at the, who comes off the bench um, and that you want to be around guys like that. Uh, I, I think that's a great testament to him. You said you were being uh, lightly recruited by different schools. How did that all work out in playing after high school? Well, it's, it's funny. I mean, I, you know, I was, you know, we talked about before, I mean, academics was, was number one growing up. And so, you know, I had the opportunity to, you know, we I applied to, you know, most every school, um, you know, I was valedictorian at Capitol Valley, um, you know, just because of, I just worked my butt off in the classroom. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, I you had the opportunity to either, you know, maybe look and, and try to pursue something um, athletically or, you know, just go on the academic route. And, um, you know, I, I remember vividly having a heart-to-heart talk with, with my dad, who, you know, was one of my mentors. And, you know, him looking me in the eyes and say, hey, I know you've you know, started to, you know, accomplish some things athletically, which is great. But let's be honest, son you need to make the best decision for your career long-term and an academic decision is going to be better than an athletic decision for you. And he looked at me and said, you're not going to make a career in basketball. And, you know, the irony is thick there. Um, and I understand what he means. You know, I, I wasn't going to be in the NBA. I wasn't going to play for money. Um, you know, and, and if I could, I mean, it wasn't going to be long lived. And, um, you know, so he encouraged me to make an academic choice and, um, and I went with that, and it was between uh, UC Berkeley and UCLA. Uh, my older sister was at UCLA at the time, um, and it just fit me better. 
And so that's, that's how I kind of decided to go that route. And I thought my, my playing career was over and, um, you know, and I was going to hang it up and, and move on into the next phase. It's funny how things work when he, your dad sat you down. Neither of you probably ever would have thought that coaching would be a profession that you would get into and in, all, and in a very good present. I mean, you know, you have a, it's a good job that you have at UC Irvine and you're primed to even be better one day. And I, I know that. I know how humble you are. So you went to UCLA. Talk to me about um, the academics and the interactions that you had with both the men's and the women's basketball teams. Yeah, no, I, I went in as a pre-med, um, you know, and, and my, my ambition was to, you know, go and, and end up, you know, being a doctor. And uh, you know, I wanted to either get into pediatrics or get into sports medicine. Um, you know, I love kids and, and have an impact you know, on that. And then obviously, um, you know, staying involved in sports and, you know, and sports medicine would have allowed for that. Um, you know, so that was, that was my, my drive there. Um, but once I got there, I realized how much I missed basketball and I missed just being around athletics. And, um, you know, I was, I was really fortunate. One of our coaches that I came across in South County, Rich Prospero, and actually my JV coach, Mike Minear, they both knew Steve Lavin, um, you know, through their Chapman days. And so they called um, Coach Lavin and, um, and said, hey, you know, we have a guy there that may want to get involved with, you know, with the program to some level and, and whatever. And, um, and so, you know, they put in a call for me and, um, and, you know, I can't come to learn more about Steve Lavin later, but he, he calls me, leaves a message. And I, I honestly think that, you know, one of my friends at UCLA or somewhere is, is playing a joke on me. I'm like, Steve Lavin's calling my phone and, and UCLA basketball is, really good um you know at the time and Steve Lavin's kind of a celebrity and I'm like mm-hmm. you know there's no way and so you know I wait you know I was like I don't really know I don't really know I check with a whole bunch of people hey were you messing with me you messed with me I was like I guess it did call and I call me and and he, he answers and he says hey can you come meet in my office and I was so nervous I go to coach Lavin's office and um and I sit down with him and and it was as if I especially knowing what I know now I couldn't believe that he gave me the amount of time that he gave me. I mean, he was so gracious with his time and so candid and, and so warm and endearing. And I was like, that's why he gets all these recruits. I mean, it all makes sense now. I mean, you know, a bunch of years removed, but it was genuine. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, because he felt like obligated to, to do it or anything like that. And, and he offered me a, um, you know, he said, Hey, I don't have a spot on the team. I know you may want to be a walk on and that may be something that, you know, you know, we can come to fruition, but that's not, you know, that's not what I'm looking for right now, but, you know, I have a spot as a manager. And um, again, if I knew I was getting the coaching, like that's like the stupidest thing for me to turn down is to turn down that opportunity there. But I did. I was like, Hey, I want to be a part of the team. I, this is, I don't necessarily have time to do this. And so, so I kind of bypassed that um, and got involved with the women's scout team. And so I was a part of the women's practices. And so, I was, you know, I would go to their practices and be a you know, member, you know, uh, it was, you know, men's a group of guys that played against the girls during their practice. And we'd run, you know, sets that, you know, of their opponent and do different things during practice and whatnot. So I did that for, for a couple of years. And that kind of parlayed into, you know, after the women's practice, the men practice. So I got to know a bunch of the guys. And so I would play open gym with the guys. And so that was my involvement with the team there. So I got to know a bunch of the guys. I would rebound for the guys afterwards. And I started maybe working some of the guys out, um, you know, rebounding for them and stuff like that. And so I got to know some of the, some of the players on the UCLA basketball team. 
um, which is a great experience. And I got to run with them. But that was really the extent of the basketball experience that I had at UCLA. I mean, I got to know a lot of the guys there. Um, you know, I got to be involved with, you know, the practices and things like that. But, but that was really it because for me, like, as I was doing all this, I was taking biochemistry and I was taking physics and I was taking anatomy and I was, you know, and so, so all these other things were pressing on me. So, so that was really the extent of, of what I did basketball wise, but there were other things at UCLA that, that as I look back really taught me what my passion was and, and really, you know, when I graduated from college, even though my, my thought was I was still going to go and pursue medicine, I had these experiences from UCLA combined with the athletic experience I had with the women's scout team and the things with men's basketball. But I was a, I was an orientation counselor. Um, you know, so I worked with incoming freshmen and helping their transition and picking their classes and, um, and guiding them and mentoring them. I was part of something called UCLA Unicamp, uh, which is a camp for underprivileged kids from the LA area um, that I was involved with um, that taught me about working with underprivileged kids in this area and we take them up to the San Bernardino Mountains and spend time with them and give them an experience that they otherwise couldn't. Uh, I was a part of the Student Alumni Association at UCLA, uh, putting on events for students at UCLA. Um, so as I look back, the mentorship component, the, um, the you know, s- you know, serving the, that population, uh, the college age population was something I was really, really passionate with. And com- that combined with athletics, again, as I look back, really kind of funnels into coaching. And I didn't know that at the time. You know, when I graduated in 2003, my, my trajectory was in a totally different direction. Um, you know, but, I, but as I look back, all the things that I did along the way, all the things that I was most passionate about really pointed towards coaching. Um, but it was, a, it, was a, you know, it was a period that, of experiences that, that brought me to that. So it seemed like you had a lot of, you know, the, the, it seemed like you were trying to get pushed into coaching, but you just didn't realize it yet. But eventually you did. And talk about how your first coaching job was and the first team that you really hooked on to and what your roles were there. Well, after my first year of college, I, I came back home like a lot of freshmen do, uh, just because you kind of get kicked out of the dorms. And I coached um, the freshmen at, at Capo Valley and, um, you know, with Coach Mulligan. And, um, you know, the reason I tell the story is because I had a chance to meet a coach named Todd Murphy, who had just finished his professional career. He played in the NBA for a while and then finished his career in Japan. And um, so he and I worked together coaching the freshmen at Capo. And that was just a summer job for me. And it was awesome. And I enjoyed it. And I, but I never really thought that this was something that I would pursue. But I got to work with Todd Murphy, who is probably the most upstanding and humble person you'll ever meet and um you know for a guy who has had the success that he has um but he played for bill mulligan and was brian mulligan's teammate at uc irvine um but that's part of the long story but um but that was my first coaching experience was that, that first year after college um so fast forward to when I graduated in 2003 I'd come home and my plan was to study for the MCATs and when I came home it was the summer and I you know caught on with coach Mulligan he said hey come and come and coach with us and so I started coaching at Capo and um you know so that was my first experience that summer was coaching you know with the varsity team with with coach Mulligan and um and so that that was you know kind of what I was doing 
on the periphery of what my focus was, which was, you know, studying for the MCATs and, and moving in that direction. Um, how long did you coach high school before you finally realized that, you know what, the MCATs and med school and all those things, it just isn't for me? Yeah, I coached um, two years uh, at Capo. And um, again, I mean, uh, I, it was an interesting process as, as I was spending more time coaching. Um, I also coached some club, um, you know, as I was doing that. And I was doing a lot of just personal training with, with players um, and falling in love with player development. I was falling out of love with the idea of going to medical school. And part of that, again, goes back to my older sister who was going through medical school at the same time. Um, I had volunteered at a couple hospitals in the area with a couple of physicians that were really frustrated with the profession at the time. Um, and that kind of impacted, you know, kind of my thought process as well that kind of put things on a halt. And so as I was, you know, falling in love with coaching and that experience, um, I was moving away from medicine. And so, so I spent two years doing that. And, um, you know, once I got to my second year, the one thing I realized as I, I kind of moved in the direction and said, hey, maybe this is something that I want to do was that I, I didn't think the high school level was, was right for me. Um, and the biggest reason for that was, was two things. And um, one was parent involvement. Um, you know, as you well know, as a high school coach, it was something, yeah, <laughs> uh, it was something that I looked at and I said, you know what, there's, parents are, are way too involved at this level for these players to be able to grow as much as they can. Um, and I think athletics and sports is such a great opportunity for players or people in general to grow and develop as people, um, not just as athletes. Um, and the second thing was too many of the players did played as a kind of a social activity, as an extracurricular. And I wanted to be around players that were more serious minded in, in, in the game um, and in developing. And, um, and so I think it was kind of the perfect storm for me where I said, you know what, I'm ready to move on if I can, um, you know, and that, that was easier, easier said than done. Um, just, you know, but I didn't know for sure what level was right for me, but I knew the next step for me was to maybe look to pursue a, a college coaching job. It's interesting. The, the, as many college coaches as I have a podcast with who coached in high school, they all kind of say the same thing. They'll say, Nick, I, I could have stayed a high school coach and teacher my entire life. Like that was, that was the life for me, but the outside for the outside stuff with the parents and, and with politics just was, drove so many really, I, maybe it helped the game because it drove so many players, coaches out of high school into college where they're affecting the game even more so at the higher level, but it's not that I don't hear coaches say I got out because I didn't make any money. I got out because I worked, you know, college hours for high school pay where I got out because, you know, this school over here is getting away with this and we're not. And it's, it's really, it's, it's the parents and the politics that that's what drives a lot of coaches out. They can deal with all the rest. It's, it's that, that's a very, takes a special coaches to be able to do that. And, and I would argue, you know, at coach Mulligan's program, that's a top program. Those, you know, those, those families are in line and they're in step with what coach is doing. And, and they are, I would, I would assume probably pretty respectful of him given his track record and still it seemed like it was uh, it was, it was difficult for you to, to see that side of it. Um, well, he, I mean, he, he handled it unbelievably. I looked at him and said, I, I probably can't handle it that way. Um, yeah. You know? And so, so that's the thing. It's like, you know, the perception of, of a level of, of coaching being better than the other is I think is wrong. 
mm-hmm. coaching at different levels is different. And that's, that's it. Um, you know, your lifestyle is different. Um, how you have to coach is different. The amount of parental involvement is different. And for some, it's great. And some, it's not. And, and every level brings a certain, you know, that, that level shifts. And so what you have to do if you're an aspiring coach or, or you're a coach trying to figure it out is figuring out what lifestyle you want, uh, what level of player you want to coach, um, you know, all these different components that will kind of lead to that, you know, figuring out really what you want to do. Like for, for Coach Mulligan, he had, you know, he'd tell me all the time, like he had opportunities of all these contacts that he has to, to move on to different things. And he's, he's made choices to live the lifestyle that he has and, and run his program the way he has. But he has, the, he has an unbelievable personality to deal with his situation and his circumstance. And he's built equity in that so that, you know, people understand what they're getting into in his program. And I think every successful high school coach has that culture within their program where parents have an understanding that, you know, you're looking out for the best interest of, of my kid. And, you know, I think every parent wants that. Um, you know, some parents are a little bit blinded to what that may mean for them. Um, but ultimately, you know, if, if coaches are doing this for the right reason, they're doing it, you know, because they want to have an impact in young people's lives. And, um, you know, and so any parent that can buy into that and believe that um, will be able to give distance and trust, trust the coaches. I agree. Well put. Um, so you realize now you wanted to be a coach, but you're, you're, you're thinking that the level is a, is a higher level of basketball and in college. Um, how did you end up or talk about your first, uh, college, uh, your first time you worked on a college worth a college team? Yeah. So going back to Todd Murphy, um, Todd Murphy had just recently, um, been assistant coach at UC Riverside and then moved to his alma mater, UC Irvine. And so I'd been in contact with Todd um, and I said, Hey, Murph, you know, is there any way for me to do something at UC Irvine? Um, Is there a position open? Is there whatever? And he got back to me and said, Hey, you can come here and and volunteer. And I said, yeah, when, (laughs) tell me when, when can I, when can I get over there? When can I start? And um, you know, and so coming over there and, and becoming the, um, the video coordinator as a volunteer, um, was was my first experience, and that was that was in the summer of 2005. After a couple of years of, of coaching high school basketball, and um, and so that was my that was my first exposure to it. And you know, I was really fortunate that Todd Murphy was there. Um, you know, real appreciative of the fact that Pat Douglas allowed me to be a part of his staff. Um, and and there was incredible people there, and I learned so many things just within that first year, as far as what a college basketball program you know entails. Um, the different job responsibilities that different guys have um, and being at a mid-major school, um, you know, you're not as staffed as a place like UCLA. And so everybody does everything. And so that was great experience for me because you're exposed to every component of the program. And, you know, albeit I didn't have involvement with every pro- every component of it, but I was exposed to it. And so that was great experience for me. But that, again, that back in 2005, I feel like I'm dating myself right now, but that was, that was a time that DVDs were just starting as far as video exchange. And so I learned video exchange through VHS tapes, padded envelopes, um, stack of VCRs. And, um, and that's how you did video exchange and that's how you built film edits. And and so that was, um, you know, I, again, I mean, I, I feel like the old guy right now in 2020 looking at our video guy going, 
you're just pulling this from Synergy and putting into this and, and you're just clipping it. Okay. That's not very tough, you know? So, um, but having that job, it's just, you just create a different appreciation for, um, for all the different components of a program and what you have now. Um, you know, so, and, and video being such a huge part of what we do with our program and our team, um, you know, so, so that was, I mean, I kind of went on a tangent there, but that, that was, that was my first job. And, and, you know, that job was video coordinator and, you know, slash everything else that anybody needed, um, you know, whether it was mail outs or, or, you know, driving people around or, I mean, you know, coach Douglas had a really close coaching friend who was of older age and, you know, we joke around you know, this all the time. Me and another guy on our staff, Matt Paul, had the responsibility of driving him to games and driving him to the grocery store and picking up a prescription medication, um, you know, things like that. And I was like, this is college coaching. Okay, let's go. That's funny. It, it seems like every most coaches start in the video room. And, uh, and I was right in there. And we talked about Coach Glass before we got on uh, the podcast. And him and I worked together in the video room at Fullerton. And it was, we'd have six VCRs. And we'd have blank tapes and you play the one and you record it on all the rest. And then that's how you do it. And then you put it in an envelope. And I remember driving up to Green River Road on off the 91. Uh, There's a Carl's Jr. there. And that's where I would meet with the travel partner of UCI, UCR, excuse me, and exchange, exchange films. And then when I left, it was, you're right, it was, no, we just email it to them now. And it was DVDs and they copy like this. And now it's probably even easier. I do it, I do it through Huddle. Well, it is. I mean, even for us in high school, I do it through Huddle, which is, I mean, 10 times easier than anything we used to do, but uh, you learn a lot in that video room and it is great to see everything and have your hand in everything, but not be responsible for everything because someone else will answer for it. Even though you might've done all the work, someone else will answer for it. And that's, that's kind of how you learn your way. So talk about how you went from the video, the, the volunteer video coordinator all the way up now, 15 years later as an associate head coach uh, for coach Turner. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a long road. I mean, I, I don't know where to start or what to talk about, but obviously, you know, you know, having, having the experience with Pat Douglas and, and his staff, I mean, you know, unbelievable people that I had the opportunity to kind of, to kind of work with. And I think each one of those people have had incredible impact on my life and, and my, my journey. Um, because if you're with other coaches that, you know, are guys that are in the business that, turn you off to it or, um, you know, don't inspire you, I think it could easily kind of push you in a different direction. And so, you know, between Todd Murphy and Terry Bozel and working with Steve Chen, Ross Land, Eric Glass, Rhett Soliday, I mean, all those guys leading up into when Pat Douglas was not retained at UC Irvine, I mean, all those guys inspired me to, to just dig my heels in and just keep working harder every single day. And, um, you know, and so in, in 2010, when, um, you know, Pat Douglas's, um, you know, contract had expired and he, he, you know, he was let go uh, for all intents and purposes, um, you know, having the opportunity to stay on the staff when Coach Turner came along was, you know, just a, an unbelievable opportunity, uh, one that I wasn't necessarily counting on, um, you know, but, you know, when, our, when Pat Douglas left in March of 2010, um, you know, there was only two people on the staff that, that the athletic director asked to kind of stay and help run the program. And I was one of them. And so it was a little bit of a leap of faith to not pursue other things during that interim, but to run the program and be there for the players and, and, and to help that. Um, and then, you know, and then coach Turner came on, um, in, in late spring that year after the NBA 
season was done. And um, again, I was really fortunate to, to, you know, to be retained on that staff, which again is, is not very common, um, but he found value in, in what I brought, um, the relationships I had with the players and the administrators, um, you know, I think he valued. And, um, and I think I was also fortunate that he was a little bit removed from college basketball, having been in the NBA for six years. And a lot of his you know, co- coaching colleagues in, in college basketball were you know, off doing different things. Um, you know, and so, you know, there's a lot of things that kind of, you know, fall into place a little bit for something that like that to, um, you know, to happen. And then, um, we just finished year 10, um, you know, so it took a couple of years to kind of really get up and running and, and really, you know, changing the culture in the direction that, um, you know, coach Turner envisioned for us, um, and building a philosophy and core values in this program. Um, but being a part of that every step of the way, especially as an assistant coach, um, has been extremely rewarding. Um, we've had plenty of ups and downs, um, but the best part of it, you know, through these 10 years, um, you know, is one, when Coach Turner came, it was like being at a totally different school just because of the differences between Pat Douglas and Coach Turner as far as where they were in their coaching careers. Pat Douglas was, you know, only been a head coach. He had never been an assistant coach, and he had coached for 30-plus years and had unbelievable success. Um, won multiple national championships at the Division II level. So he was a, you know, he was a known commodity, and he had established himself as a coach. And Russ Turner was a guy that came in in 2010 that was fighting for his life every day. And that was, that couldn't have been more healthy for me, being around somebody who just had an absolute edge about him every single day. And, um, and that was an unbelievably challenging and rewarding situation all in one. And so being with him all the way through and, and being around the different staffs that we've had, uh, which hasn't been many, I and mean, we haven't had much turnaround. Um, again, unbelievable people I've had a chance to work with that have all had such a huge hand in, in building our program to what it is now. And, and, and hopefully we'll keep moving in that direction. Um, you talked about being with Coach Turner for 10 years. In college basketball, that's a lifetime. For him to be there for 10 years and for you to work with him in that time, I, I can assume, I can safely assume that you know him very, very well. You know what he's going to say before he says it. You know exactly what he wants, when he wants it, uh, how he's going to approach and attack certain things. And he's been extremely successful there in his tenure. What would you, th- what would you say are the keys? If you had to break down all the way down, you know, to just a couple, two or three things, why is it that he has made UC Irvine the success that it's been? Well, I think first and foremost, I mean, he, he, um, he's an unbelievable competitor, um, you know, so, you know, he, he's, he, he doesn't, he doesn't really turn it off. Um, you know, he's, he's always, you know, looking to evolve, um, looking to improve. He challenges guys. Um, he challenges himself. He challenges our staff. Um, you know, so, you know, there's, there's never really been a time where we have really, you know, kind of, let up and we talk about that as a, as a program all the time we can't we can't let up I mean um, you know success a lot of times softens you and um, you know I think one thing that you have to you know you have to guard against is is that natural tendency to, to soften a little bit when you have success and um, and I think we push each other towards that um, so I think that's a, a huge component of of why he's had success is, is that competitive edge that he, that he creates um, the other thing is he's had, he's he's built a really good understanding of of who he is as a coach, and what UC Irvine is as a place. 
and really recruiting to that is extremely important. Um, you know, and finding guys that fit great to his style, his personality, uh, to our school, our campus. Um, you know, recruiting is such an important component of your program, obviously, and everyone says that. Um, but we'll take a guy that may not be as talented that we believe in their character, we believe in their fit, we believe in how they fit us as a staff over a guy that, you know, has more talent uh, because we believe in their long-term success and what they can do and how they can then add to our culture. And, um, you know, I think his understanding of, of our place and how that all fits together has been a really important part of it as well. Um, and then obviously I think he's, he's really been demanding about how we built our defense, um, you know, and that's been a critical component to how we've competed at a national level. Um, and we went to the NCAA tournament um, in, you know, last year when we, when we made it to the, to the round of 32, um, you know, we were, in a lot of ways, we were bigger um, and we were um, in better condition than Kansas State, which is they come from arguably the best league in the country. Um, and so we built that through our defense and, and how we've recruited with our big guys. Um, and so, you know, I think establishing like, you know, culture in that way, um, I think is really important um, in, in saying that we're a defensive minded program and, um, and there's some absolutes that we, that we carry with us defensively that are, that are going to make us really competitive at a really high level. Um, you said that he is constantly competitive. He never turns it off. He never lets up. You said that he challenges you as a coach. Can you give me an example of what that means? He sits you down or he's on the phone and he challenges you personally as a coach. What does that mean? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's one of the, one of the things that you know and you get to learn about Coach Turner as you, the more time you work with him is, and this goes for the coaches and our players, is how much he supports you. And, um, you know, I think some of the, the people that support you the most are the ones that don't tell you that every single day or don't have to, um, you know, and that's, that's something that you, that you feel all the time. And, and you learn that over time because I think, you know, year one, two, three, maybe he comes at you pretty hard. He doesn't, you know, there's not a, he, there's not a softness about how he comes and, and communicates to you. And you could easily, you know, melt to that and shudder to that and, and, and take offense to that. Um, but in the, you know, over the course of time, when you know that he's supporting you and pushing you in the right direction, you believe in his communication. So the next time he comes at you that way, you say, you know what, this is, this is in my best interest, even though I may not like hearing that. And so it's the same thing with the players, us as assistant coach, especially for our young players, when he comes at the players hard and he's demanding at them, we're able to go and put our arm around them and say, Hey, he's got your back you know, don't, don't worry. He's got your back. He's looking out for your best interest. And I know you may not have liked what he said right there, um, but, you know, just trust it. And, um, and that buy-in is really important. I think that's a trickle down from your, from your coaching staff all the way down to your players, to your support staff. Um, you know, that buy-in on how he communicates is really important. And so, you know, we've had, we've had debriefing moments, um, you know, in person, one-on-one, and, you know, we've had, you know, sit down talks, um, you know, where he's been, you know, ultra supportive and, and challenging at the same time. Um, and he's always challenged me to think like a head coach, um, especially over the last three or four years. You know, he's always said, hey, I want you to think like a head coach like this. And that's been good for me because, you know, when you've been assistant for a long time, like you said earlier, I mean, it's easy to give a lot of suggestions and go, hey, you go figure out 
you know, what you want to do with it. These are my best suggestions. Um, but to really think like a head coach and think about every, you know, everything that can come from that decision or that opinion that you have is really important. Um, you, you talked about recruiting and how important recruiting is and how character is one of the most important things that you do when you recruit. How do you, how are you able to judge a recruit's character and how are you able to watch a recruit play and say, he's going to be a right fit or a wrong fit for us? It takes time. Um, there's no question it takes time. I mean, and, and there's a lot of different components to that. Um, you know, I think as you, the more time you spend coaching, the more you can identify it easier. Um, you know, cause I think there's certain, you know, characteristics that, that, you know, people with good character carry with them. Um, but I think it's so valuable to be able to talk to the people around them, um, to their coaches, ask coaches, Hey, you know, how is he, off the court? How is he with his teachers? How is he around campus? Um, how is he with the worst player on the team? And those are things that you can, you know, you can really see. I mean, a lot of times when you go see players play with their club teams, they're all all-stars. They're all really good. Uh, but seeing him with this high school team and seeing him with the kid that really can't play, um, that he's counting on to, to, you know, to, to perform in a game, how is he with that, with that, with that guy? Um, I think those things speak to his character. Um, I've learned more, you know, within the last five or six years about how important it is to get to know parents. Um, because a lot of times the kid that you're inheriting is going to be a reflection of the parents. Um, so are the parents resilient? Um, do they hold their kids accountable? Um, are the parents excuse makers? Um, you know, you know, are they, are they tough? I mean, what are their values? Um, those things, you know, transcend to the player and so so that's a component of it as well um and then you bring them on campus and and you're and they're around your players and um and if you you have a chance to bring them on campus for unofficial or official visit gauging our players reaction to their personality hey do they fit do they fit us do they fit our place i mean i think that's really important as well so there's a lot of different layers to figuring out a player's character um but ultimately just like a lot of things in life you got to go with your gut. Um, you got to go with your gut with, you know, I believe in this kid. I believe in this kid's work ethic and who he is and his family and, and his values. Um, you know, and so all those, all those things go into, you know, this formula that's in your mind that, that comes with experience. And, um, you know, and, and we're always trying to figure out how to best do that. Um, but that's a really important component to how we figure things out. And to be honest with you, once you have your kids of your own, uh, which I now have three of them, um, recruiting changes. It, it just does. And, and it changes in a sense where, you know, I look at my eight-year-old right now, and if I bring in a freshman to our program, he's going to be with him from at least from when he's eight years old to 12. Hmm. That's a real impactful time. And at some point, my eight-year-old is going to listen to me less and to our players more about what's cool and what's not cool and advice and things like that. Um, that just naturally happens. So they better be good people. They better be people that I want around my kids. And so you have a little bit different of a lens when you look at these kids, um, you know, because they, you know, they're going to be a part of your family and a part of, you know, what your, what your kids' lives are going to be like. So, so that changes things a little bit too. And, um, you know, that's not a perspective that I had, you know, eight years ago. That's interesting. That's an interesting perspective of how 
you know, you're really bringing him into your family and you're going to bring this young man in and he's going to be around your kids and you want that influence to be a positive one. Uh, and you take that into account or how you recruit on your team. Um, you talked about the defense being, um, you know, maybe, maybe the main reason on the floor why you guys are so successful. You said there are some absolutes to it, uh, things that, you know, maybe your, your, your pillars or your non-negotiables, things that you always do. What are some of those absolutes that you have and how do you teach them? Well, I mean, we could talk forever about our, our absolutes. I mean, you know, the like, you know, one thing for sure defensively is, you know, you have to run back in transition. Um, you have to run back in transition. There's no question about that. You will be completely put on blast in the film session if you do not run back in, on, on defense. And that's, you know, the first component of, of how you build your defense, especially if you're a half-court defensive team, which we're predominantly a half-court man-to-man defense team. Um, you know, we built our defense around rim protection, um, you know, first and foremost. And so we recruit guys that we feel like can be good rim protectors, and that's through our fours and our fives. Um, you know, so that's incredibly important um, in how we do it. Um, you know, we, we make sure our guys are great communicators defensively, um, you know, that they help one another out on defense, um, that, you know, we work with one another. Um, and, you know, a big part of what we do in scouting is we – we scout player tendencies. And so we do require our players to understand, you know, player tendencies. Um, and that's not just the person they're guarding, um, but the best defenders are guys that understand the player tendencies of everybody. Um, because we talk about, again, transition defense all the time. You don't have a man in transition defense. Um, you know, you're, you're responsible for, for anybody and, and covering for your teammates all the time. So, so those are components of, of our defense that we, we push every single day. Um, you know, how can you help your teammates? How can we make sure we're back in defense every time? Um, you know, if our if there's a layup that's shot, um, we are looking squarely on our big guys. You know, and and we'll we'll address our our guards and getting blown by and all that kind of stuff. But our big guys know that if they give up a layup or any easy easy shots at the rim, that's their responsibility. And our guards are responsible for for you know being back and helping on the glass and all that kind of stuff. But if there's a layup, if there's easy shots around the rim, our big guys are know they're going to be held accountable. And that's a, that's a learning curve for a lot of our young bigs. Um, back when you first talked about getting into coaching, you talked about being fascinated with personal development and skill development. Um, you just so happened to uh, be a, a skill development trainer for the best basketball player of all time in Kobe Bryant. And you were his trainer, maybe one of his trainers, but you were his trainer down here for many years. Can we talk about first how you even got in contact with Kobe and how you developed a relationship with him and becoming his go-to guy down here in Southern California? Yeah, like a lot of things. I mean, it was it was by chance. Um, you know, it, it was it was a year that um, you know Kobe was he was looking to get traded to Chicago specifically. Um, you know, he's living in Newport Beach. I think everyone knows he lived in Newport Coast. And I uh, was looking for a place to train kind of in the interim, like in the off season before he moved on from the Lakers. He didn't want to go up to LA. He didn't, he wanted something by his house. And, um, and so he contacted our administration at UC Irvine and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm looking to, you know, I'd like to come by and look at your facility and see if it's um, you know, something that I could potentially use, um, you know, during this period. And one of our associate athletic directors, um, you know, that's, this is 2007. Um, our associate athletic director calls me and says, hey, you know, there's, a, there's an off chance that, um, that Kobe may want to come by here and, and train. 
um, can I pass along your number and, um, and have them maybe come take, take a look at the facilities? And, you know, I, you know so director of basketball operations, single, like I'm living at the office anyways. Mm-hmm. And yeah, of course. I mean, and, you know, and, and again, our associate athletic director says, hey, really good chance doesn't even come by, but can I pass along your number? I want this off my, off my desk. I said, sure, no problem. Inevitably, within a week, I get a call from the head of security for, for Kobe Bryant. And um, he says, hey, you know, Mr. Bryant would like to come check out the facility, this and that, whatever. And I said, sure, no problem. Tell me a time. I'll be there, this and that, whatever. And I'm figuring this guy's going to come by and whatever. And, um, you know, and lo and behold, you know, parking in, in the athletics complex is Kobe Bryant and this one other guy that, that comes with him. And I'm just like, all right, this is actually happening. And, you know, at the time, like, we had a, a pretty second-rate weight room. Um, our other facilities are pretty good. Our practice gym's good and our arena's good and all that stuff. But, we, but I know a lot of what he wanted to do was in the weight room um, as, well as, the, as well as the gym. And so I show him around. Um, you know, I'm nervous. I'm like, hey, this is what we got. You know, this is whatever. And, um, and, and so that's, that, that was kind of how he was first introduced. And, and on his way out, he gives me his number. And he gets mine and says, hey, um, you know, I'll call you. I'll let you know. And I'm like, all right, sounds good. Again, pretty certain that I'm never going to get a phone call, right? That night, um, I am, um, I'm coaching my, um, my club, um, not my club, I was, I was, I was doing some training and, um, I get a call and, um, it's him and he's like, Hey, I was wondering if we can get in the gym tomorrow morning. I was like, sure. And, um, and so 7am the next morning, um, I show up, he shows up with, with this guy who I end up learning, um, you know, as, as time goes along is not, I thought at first it was the guy who had called me, the head of security guy or whatever, it was this guy named Tom Evans, who was one of Michael Jordan's trainers towards the latter part of his career. And so Kobe called Mike and said, hey, you know, I'm planning on going to Chicago. Who's a guy in Chicago I need to be linked up with? And it was, you know, Tim Grover, who everyone knows Tim Grover, uh, but also Tom Evans. And so Tom got sent out to California to kind of, you know, to spark this training. And so there's a guy from Chicago here now and Kobe's in the gym, you know, training and all that stuff. And I asked, Hey, can I sit in on this? And they're like, yeah, sure. Whatever. And so I'm just sitting in the practice gym, watching them do their thing. I'm in the weight room with them. And now there's a guy from Chicago that's here that doesn't know anybody in Orange County is living at a hotel. We're in the off season. He starts just coming by UC Irvine and he's, you know, he's in our, you know, he's, he's hanging out in my office. He's, you know, in our individual workouts in the spring, he's kind of just hanging out. And so I get to know him really well. And, you know, and so he's doing other things with Kobe on top of it. I mean, he goes, he's at his house, he's doing different things, he's doing his stretching and all that. And so they have a conversation separate from me where basically this guy tells Kobe like, hey, this guy is, is trying to be a coach. He's a coach at UC Irvine. And so um, the next day, I guess, we're in the, in the practice gym. This is probably a week and a half in um, of six days a week training. He kind of looks over as he's going through his warm-up routine. He says, hey, man, I, I thought you wanted to be a coach. I thought, why the, why the heck are you not out here with us? And I'm just sitting there like, there's no one else in here. I guess you're talking to me. And 
And from that day on, I was on the floor with him. And so we went through that first summer of, you know, of being, you know, with him and, and with Tom Evans, who um, everyone calls Rev. I mean, he's a reverend in Chicago. And so we're in there with, with him and Rev every single day that first summer. Um, and everyone knows the story. I mean, he ends up staying with the Lakers and, um, you know, and Tim Grover and Rev are running the gym back in Chicago. So Rev's like kind of back and forth and, and, but there most of the time. And so that was the first off season that I spent with those guys. And I was just a sponge. Like, what is he doing? You know, I was learning all the stuff that he was doing in the weight room. Um, I come to learn so much of the stuff he did in the weight room with, with things that, that Jordan was doing at that stage of his career as well. Um, it was an area that I, was familiar with, but I, I didn't feel like I had any expertise in it at all. Um, but I learned a ton in the weight room and then learning from Kobe on the floor on the things that he wanted um, every day in the gym was, was fascinating. I mean, it was like being in the classroom every single day uh, watching him work. So, so that was 2007. And, um, and that continued um, for the most part all the way until he retired. Um, obviously we had, and that was every, pretty much every, season when we were done um you see Irvine when we were done he knew when we were done and so I'd be back you know in his you know on the court with him uh whatever he needed for a lot of the postseason work um a lot of the offseason work um you know summertime and and leading up into training camp and um and and so that was again that was for the most part from 2007 all the way until he retired and obviously every offseason was a little bit different as he was going through different injuries um you know so different you know different summers were more rehab oriented where he was with doctors and different, you know, you know, PT guys. Um, so every off season was a little bit different. Um, you know, so my involvement was a little bit different, but um, you know, it was, it went from every day or multiple times a day to, you know, maybe, you know, once or twice a week. Um, you know, so, so varied every, every off season based on what his needs were. What does Kobe Bryant, when he walks into the gym and he's ready to get a workout in, what are the things that he emphasizes? What are the things that, he puts himself through and you put him through that he knows is going to make him a better player? Well, every offseason was really different, um, you know, because he went into every offseason looking to add some component to his game, um, you know, and, and that was based on where he was in his career. Um, that was based on, you know, who he was playing for, um, you know, different seasons, whether he was playing in the triangle or he was playing for Mike Brown or you know, different guys. I mean, he would really, you know, get to know, you know, those coaches and what their needs were and where he would be in the offense. Um, you know, for example, like going into the Olympics um, in 2008, I believe, um, he knew on that team with the amount of talent that they had that they'd have plenty of scoring power on that team. And he knew that he was going to be the defensive stopper on that team. And so right after the season ended, he his training focus turned to defense. And outside of maybe some spot shooting, maybe some layups, maybe some form shooting, things like that, he spent the better part of the first two weeks only working on defense in the gym. And it was fascinating. He, he wanted every drill that we could come up with. And, um, you know, it was, you know, two, he was guarding two guys at a time, you know, sliding from one place to another, sprinting to close out, um, you know, getting his conditioning level high. He just wanted to create that focus and mentality going into that, you know, that off-season period going into the Olympics. Um, you know, so every off-season was really different, but they were very focused and laser sharp in what his focus was. Um, so he came to the gym and there was purpose every single time. And there was a competitive level every single time. It was 
the tension was was high when he was in there. And you knew you had to bring it. Um, you had to bring it. And there was times where he would say, hey, I want to work on this, this, and this, and you put something together. And he'd tell you right after the workout that that wasn't good enough. And, and, and it, it wasn't as nicely as I put it right there. Um, that's not really how you'd say it. So, and you'd feel it. And you'd feel a responsibility to make it better and to be more challenging and to put him in position where he felt like he was improving every day. He did not waste a moment when he was on the court. Um, he did not waste a moment when he was in the gym. He did not waste a moment when he was doing any of his recovery. I mean, his attention to detail and his focus was on an absolute another level. Um, you know, and that's, that was something that was fascinating. And so for me, I was unbelievably spoiled in those experiences that I had with him. Um, you know, and I feel almost bad for all the players that have been in the gym with me afterwards because you can't tell me that you're going as hard as you can because I've seen it. Um, you can't tell me that you're giving everything you have. You can't tell me that you've done all you can because I've seen it. I've seen somebody that's always pushing the envelope. And the fascinating part about him was with all the things that he had accomplished, you know, just like we talked about with, you know, with, you know complacency. I mean, there was always more. And you talk about somebody that was trying to genuinely you know, find the best version of himself. Mm -hmm. It was all about leaving a legacy. It wasn't about, it wasn't really about like anything else. What is his legacy? What is his impact on the game? And how does that transcend different generations beyond when he's done playing? And, and you felt that every day in the gym with him. Wow. Um, so he would say, Hey, uh, Ryan, I want, I want to work on my ball handling for the next week or so. And then you would come with your own drills that maybe you've gotten from the places you've been at, or maybe the ones that you use at UCI and you'd put him through those. And then he would tell you afterwards, whether you liked them or not, is, is that how the drills came to about came, came to pass with him? A little bit of both. I mean, there's, there's some, some things that he would say, Hey, this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then there was other times you say, Hey, I need a ball handling drill or I need a, I need to work on, you know, my jab series, or I need to work on, you know, elbow jumpers, or I need to, you know, work on, you know, shooting off the move, um, you know, different things like that. And you say, hey, put something together. Or he'd come in and just say, hey, this is what I want to do. Um, and just either defend me or rebound or put a body on me or whatever. I mean, you know, I, well, one, one of the times where I, I really realized that, you know, the competitive level is at an all-time high is when he – he decided that he wanted to work on his post game in the offseason. So I'd be in there and, and play post defense on him. And he's taller than me, but, you know, I got good center of gravity on him. And so I pushed him pretty good. And he did not like how physical I was playing him. But part of him for sure liked it. Um, but as he was trying to get me off of him, as I was pushing him with the post, he just elbowed me harder than you could ever imagine and broke my nose. And I was – and I'm just bleeding, and he just spins the ball to himself next round. Next, and I'm just like, all right, this is, and, and that's just how it was. And it wasn't like eh, nothing personal. This is, I'm here to accomplish this. And you're either, you're either on or you're off. And it's not like, we're not worried about feelings. We're not worried about how you doing. And this, like, this is what I'm here to accomplish. And you're either here to help me or you're getting in my way. And there's no in between. And so you know, and, and that's when I learned everything about it because we all have whatever perception we have of him. You know, I did at least before meeting him and getting to know him. And then you realize 
this is why that perception has been built. It's this competitive nature. It's this, you know, this absolute desire to win, to have success, um, to continue to evolve as a player. Um, you know, and some guys can handle it. Some guys can't. Um, some teammates can hand it, handle it. Some teammates can't. Um, and then his leadership qualities have also evolved over time too. And that was, that was fun to watch evolve as he, as he went along. And, you know, I was a part of, you know, whatever he was doing, you know, towards the latter stage of his career when he was older and probably had better sense for how to lead the right way because of how badly he needed his teammates, you know, along the way to, to have the success that he ended up having. Um, I can't imagine what he was when he was number eight. Um, I was around him when he was 24. And, um, you know, the debate of, of what, who was better, eight or 24, I mean, I can't really comment on that. But I know 24 was pretty damn good. Well, if you're his his skills trainer for 12 years and you're in the gym with him every offseason, you, you've been with him in the gym 100 times or more, you must have developed a friendship. Um, or I would assume you, I can assume you developed some sort of a friendship right. off the court. Do you want to talk about that, your relationship with him off the floor and, and what that was like? That took time. I mean, you know, it was, I was, you know, I didn't want to be his friend. I mean, I, I didn't want to be his friend. I mean, that, I mean, I, I felt like any, any, um, any guard that you put down would maybe hinder our relationship on the court, which was the most important thing for me. And also why I was there, um, you know, I was there to help him accomplish what he wanted, to, what he wanted to do. Um, and so, so I feel like our, our friendship or our relationship happened real organically and it took a long time um and I learned what somebody like that goes through to really trust somebody um and so I was really adamant about not imposing that and as you can imagine there was probably there was a lot of people that were pulling at me to to ask things of him um you know obviously he gets asked you know got asked things all the time um you know so I was real careful to make sure that I, I, I kept my space. Um, and then I think things kind of naturally evolved, um, you know, in more time, you know, as I, I spent more time with them, I went on you know, some trips with them. Um, you know, when you're, when you're traveling with, with someone, you, you have a chance to get to know them on a different level, um, you know, traveling to different places, um, you know, and so, so we did build a friendship and, you know, through that time, um, you know, he had obviously, you know, been married um, and had kids and I you know, was, you know, had just got engaged um, and, you know, started having kids. And so he was, you know, I, you know, he, we talked a lot about that stuff, um, you know, about, you know, just, just being a dad and, you know, and, and, you know, going through an engagement and getting married and all that kind of stuff. So he was a part of all that stuff, um, which was really cool. I mean, going to, you know, each other's birthdays and, and things like that. I mean, it evolved to that, which was, which was really cool. Um, but I don't think we got as close until he really was done. Um, you know, where he was in unplugged and he really unplugged. I mean, when he was done, he was done. And I knew he was going to be done. A lot of people said, eh, I don't think he's going to really be done. I knew he was going to be done because of how much he gave to it. Um, you know, how, how much he had to completely unplug to really be done. And so, you know, it was having him as a mentor um, in this game, um, someone that I could, you know, bounce things off of, ask advice of, um, you know, I, I really do feel like he was, a big brother to me in a lot of ways. And he was you know, a couple of years older than me and, and um, you know, had a lot of life experiences that I hadn't had, um, you know, got married younger and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, he, it was, he was someone that I was able to, you know, pick up the phone or shoot a text to and say, Hey, what do you think about this? Um, and, and get a real 
real candid response, um, good or bad. Um, and it was real. And it was nice to have somebody that wasn't in college basketball that could give me perspective outside of maybe college basketball or someone that just gives real kind of advice. And I valued the heck out of that. And, and hopefully I provide. And, and I could vouch for that too, even on our end, because, you know, when I started reading up on your and his relationship, it was very clear that you kept that secretive. You, you did not overstep your bounds. You didn't do anything that would infringe on that. And, you know, there would have been a lot of people who would love to have just kind of peeked in and watched Kobe Bryant work out. And you kept that at, as secretive as possible to protect him and to, you know, be able to let him continue to, you know, get his career, improve his game while he's out there. And that kind of, I'm sure he fed off that eventually he bought into that and said, this guy's a trustworthy guy. I mean, it really helped that his hours uh, fit into hours that didn't fit into most people's schedules, uh, yeah. you know, because that, that made it a lot easier um, to, to, like a lot of people say, hey, how are you able to, to do, you know, based on the time that you had and all that kind of stuff? Well, it's, it's a lot easier when you're up at 5 a.m. And, and working out until 8.30 or 9. And, you know, it's funny is when, when I first started, it was, you know, I'd, you know, maybe go longer in a workout and I roll into the office around 930 and, and you know, kind of jokingly people on the staff would say, hey, a late morning, huh? Off season. And I just kind of chuckle and say, yeah, late morning. And, you know, we had been in the gym for, you know, three and a half hours, you know, or whatever. And so, um, you know, it was nice that, that that kind of fit into things. And then, you know, he was real adamant about, and especially in the off season, about what he did with his family. I mean, he wanted to get his work in early. I mean, he was a guy that just didn't require much sleep anyways to begin with. Um, but getting that work in allowed him to get home and be with his girls, um, do things that he needed to do, um, you know, throughout the day, go see his massage therapist or go do Pilates or do whatever he had going on during the off season. And then as we were getting ready for training camp, um, he'd come back in at night. And that was well beyond anyone being there. And so it was, it was easy to – not talk about it much. You know, the tail end of things, people see and go, oh, well, you just stop by to get some ice or whatever. You know, you just, you know, kind of keep it, you know, as low key as you can. I didn't go, I didn't try to necessarily keep it secretive from anybody, but, it, you know, his routine kind of helped keep it on the low and, um, and give him the privacy that he, he needed to, to do what he needed to do. And it helped you too that it was at your workplace. So, you, you mean, if anything, you're three hours early to work and you're in the gym working out a basketball player. So, worst case scenario, you know, you can get right to work as soon as that's over and you can make up for that 20, 30 minutes of lost time because you're right there. Um, you called him a mentor, a big brother. Um, what what did you learn most from him? Oh, man. I mean, I, you know, whether on the court, off the court, I mean, a lot. I mean, in, in both areas. Um, you know, I think, you know, on the court, I mean, more than anything is – you know, I'm a big John Wooden guy, and John Wooden always talks about you know, you know, defining success as as um, as doing your personal best. You know, one thing I learned from him is um, how important it is as coaches to help players find what their personal best is, uh, because I think a lot of young players may think they're giving their best or doing their best, where you may see something different in them as a coach. And I think it's our role a lot of times to help them define that for them and to really help them find what their personal best is. And that's both on the court and off the court, but particularly on the court. Um, you know, Kobe pushed himself past the limits that you didn't think were possible um, when he was on the court, um, whether it was the amount of reps that he, you know, that he took, um, the amount of difficult shots that he worked on. You know, it was funny because you watch him play, 
And I remember watching him play and be like, man, that was a, that was a lucky shot, man. That's a tough shot. It's a lucky shot. I witnessed him shoot every one of those shots a hundred thousand times. And, and so is that luck? I mean, no, and, and, but you don't know that until you, until you know that. And so same thing with, with the players that we have coaching is, you know, our, our ability to help them, you know, figure out what their personal best is. Um, I think is, is something that, you know, he helped shape for me, um, you know, and, and how you do it. And, and, you know, also for, you know, in that, in that, in those terms, you know, really, you know, what can you give to the game um, and what you have to sacrifice to be as good as maybe you want. You know, I ask players all the time, like you say you want to be X, Y, and Z, but your actions don't reflect that. So you're not allowed to say, I want to be X, Y, and Z when your actions, you know, couldn't, you know, couldn't differ more from what you want the results to be. Kobe walked the walk. You know, he said, this is what I want to do. And he put in the time and the work in a competitive way at a high level to accomplish those things. And so I've been able to see it. And so that again has, has, my focus to what it takes to be as good as, as what you say you want to be. Um, he really, he really did me in that way where I'm able to have that conversation with players and say, Hey, this is what you want to do. Let's figure out a plan that, that fits you that, you know, that will kind of lead to the things that you want to accomplish. Um, because man, he, he was laser focused when he, when he said, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to accomplish. This is the direction I'm going. Um, and, and that became, habit to me you know what he said is what we he was going to do and so that became the habit that's okay we're going to find ways to accomplish this goal and so that was that was a huge component of of how he impacted me and and mentored me in that way on the court a quote I heard about Kobe was that he he may have worked harder at basketball than anyone who's ever played the game there's been no one who's ever worked at the game harder than him and it sounds like the way he pushed himself definitely, uh, uh, you know, attest to that. Um, a couple more things here, and, we're, and we'll let you go. Professional development. Um, as a coach, I know you're always trying to get better, always trying to improve, improve your game, improve your skill set. What are some things that you do that you put our listeners on to uh, that will that help you become a better coach? Well, I think the f- first thing I think is is being a great listener. Um, you know, I think that's one thing that I think just in general, people don't do a good enough job of is, is listening and, um, and using the resources around them. Um, you know, I've worked with a lot of really, really intelligent and talented people. Um, and as I've gone through my career, I've been a little bit, you know, remorseful of not, you know, utilizing as many of those people when I was younger, but I think valuing that more, um, you know, and I think, you know, every, every person that's on your staff um, has value. Every person that's around you, other coaches. I mean, I'll go to high school coaches, practices that don't have recruits, um, you know, especially in the area to go learn, um, you know, to learn other people and to listen to the things that they're talking about. Um, I think that's extremely valuable. Um, you know, and I think that's a big part of, of how you can develop is, is listen to people that, have had success, listen to people that have done it before you um, and valuing those things. And, um, you know, that's been a big part of, of, you know, my development is, is just continue to be a, a really good listener um, and things I've done. Um, you know, during this time period, I mean, it's been, you know, you've had great 
opportunities to listen to podcasts. I mean, I was telling you earlier, I mean, listening to the guys that have been on your podcast has been great. I mean, a lot of people I know, but hearing their stories and their backgrounds, um, you know, hearing, you know, whether it's, you know, from players or coaches, the players and coaches that have made it in this business have, have gone through some serious adversity um, and have had some toughness qualities, both mentally and physically that have, that have helped them, you know, rise to the top. And so hearing those commonalities is, has been fascinating for me. And that's both players and, and coaches. Um, and that's been, that's been great to, to learn and hear about, um, you know, clinics. I mean, some of the best clinics that we've done, you know, over Zoom and whatnot have been just roundtable discussions and be able to hear from other coaches and hear their different philosophies. Um, I think everyone's quick to want to listen to a Coach K clinic or a Bill Self clinic, which obviously their their talent as coaches speaks for themselves, but there are so many good and talented coaches at every single level. And, you know, that goes back to, you know, wanting to be around high school coaches and youth coaches and, and guys that do things differently and see things differently. Um, different is good. Um, you know, I think we gravitate towards what's most comfortable for us way too often. Um, different is good. Different philosophies is good. Different mindsets are good. doesn't make them right. Uh, but hearing those different things could further, you know, strengthen your foundation of what you believe as a coach and what you do philosophically and culturally, um, you know, so it can work both ways. But, um, but just being, you know, attentive to those things, I think, is, is really valuable. I completely agree. Um, advice for coaches. Um, there's a coach who wants to be a young coach trying to get into the game, maybe going down the same road as you. You know, uh, they're going to be a doctor. Parents want him to do this. Family wants him to do that. You end up being a, a, a terrific Division One coach. What advice do you have for guys out there and gals who want to be coaches? Yeah, I think first and foremost is, is you know, if you can find something that you're passionate about. Um, you know, I think a lot of coaches go through what maybe we call sacrifice. You know, I sacrifice, you know, money or I sacrifice time or whatever. But once you find something that you're really passionate about, you don't see those things as sacrifice. So as soon as you start feeling that those things aren't sacrifice, you know that you're going in the right direction, um, you know, and maybe you can look back and say, yeah, man, that was a tough time or whatever. But as you're going through it, like when I was a volunteer at UC Irvine and I was essentially paying to work there, I never looked at that like, man, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm, I'm beyond this or better than this or whatever. I enjoyed what I was doing. And I felt like I was, I was, you know, fulfilling you know, my passion and, and, you know, something that I felt really strongly about. And so I think finding that is, is extremely important. Um, you know, I think being great where you're at, whatever that job is, is extremely important too. And that's coming from someone that's been somewhere for 15 years. Um, I think there's a lot of coaches that are always looking for the next thing um, that's going to maybe help fulfill their long-term goal. And I think having goals is extremely, extremely important. But I also think that if you're too distracted looking at what's next for you, that oftentimes it distracts you from what you're doing and not being as good as you can at the task at hand. And everybody around you, as much as you think that they may not, feels that. They, they feel that no matter what. If you're looking for something else, the people you're working with feel that. The players you're working for feel that. Um, and you're not going to be fully bought in the way that you need to to be as good as you can. And I believe that if you do that and you connect yourself with really good people, uh, people that you feel like are competitive um, or like-minded to you, you're going to have success. And again, success is going to be defined by 
you know, what you define success to be, not by anybody else. And so um, I think that's really important is, is, you know, being the best where you're at and, and sometimes just letting things fall where they, where they may. Um, some of the opportunities that have come for me have, you know, have essentially all come when I haven't been searching for them. Um, you know, and that's not because, you know, I haven't put myself out there or anything like that. It's because I've worked really hard where I've, where I've been at and that's been recognized by other people. And so those opportunities have come from that hard work. And so I would, that'd be, you know, my first piece of advice for, for someone that's maybe looking to move or do something different or whatever is just be really, really good where you're at and connect yourself with, with highly motivated, competitive people. Um, where can coaches or people reach out to you if they want to pick your brain or ask you questions about your skills training or about defense or just get to know you maybe more? What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Yeah, anyway, um, anyway is, is, is great. I mean, you can email me um, anytime. My email is rbadrtal at uci.edu. Um, my cell is 310-968-1525. Um, I'm on social media, I'm on Twitter, uh, coach RB two five. Um, so any of those ways, um, would be great. Um, you know, we're, our practices are open. Um, so we'd love to have, you know, anybody come by practice whenever they want. I mean, um, you know, we're real transparent about how we run our program, the things we do. So, um, you know, people are welcome in our practices. Coach Turner is great about that. And, um, and yeah, so any of those ways, I'd be happy to, happy to talk to anybody. Well, Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know that your kids need you. I can hear them back there uh, for you. And uh, we will be uh, rooting on the Anteaters at UCI. You guys do a terrific job, um, and you're going to do a great job next year when you guys get back on the court. Thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I just want to say, I mean, I, what you've done with your podcast has been great. I mean, you know, at least for me as a coach, I can speak for myself. Hearing from other coaches has been really inspiring especially during these times where we feel like we don't have maybe as much basketball as we want and um, you know hearing everybody's stories um, and and their experiences and their backgrounds has, has been unbelievable so keep keep doing your work um, you know it's, it's been great and um, hopefully it keeps keeps growing and anything I can do to help please let me know well it's very nice of you to say and I really appreciate that thank you very much coach you're welcome Well, that does it for the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me at nicksinato at ymail.com. See you next time. Hey, are you a musician or someone with a small business and want to get more attention to your business and to your music? How about you get an ad with the MTMV Sports Podcast? By doing that, all you have to do is DM me, Nora Natish, at Nora, N-O-R-A, underscore Natish, N-A-T-I-S-H, on Instagram or Twitter. I will help you be able to get your song on our Song of the Week list and your ad for your business on MTMV Sports Podcast episodes. Hit me up if you want that hookup.